Thanks for joining us for Season 5 of the Hospitality Hangout, a hospitality-focused podcast where the founders at Brand Strategic share their insights and bring technology and innovation leaders that are making things happen in the industry we love. My name is Jimmy Frischling, otherwise known as the finance guy. I'd like to introduce my partner, Mr. Michael Schatzberg, also known as the restaurant guy. And thanks for that kind introduction, Jimmy. And to all those, all those listening, call me Shatzi. Together, we're the personalities behind Brand Strategic Hospitality. We work at the intersection of hospitality, technology, innovation, and capital. And Jimmy, before we get into it, I have to say your voice sounds incredibly sexy today. And I'm just wondering, did this have anything to do with us hanging out in Vegas at RFDC and Food on Demand four nights in Vegas? Uh, Is it associated in any way, shape, or form? I, I think the correlation between the two might be higher than I, I, I'd like to admit. I have a theory that Vegas is a uh, an awesome uh, two-night town, and we overstayed by several nights. So I, uh, we- I agree, yeah. I've never been there for more than two nights. Bachelor parties, four nights in Vegas. Restaurant finance show was unbelievable. I mean, it had to be 3,000 people, food on demand, right up against that at the Bellagio, it was incredible. It was great. We saw so many old friends, made new friends. It was unbelievable. Jimmy, loved it. Can't wait. And we got RLC coming up. It's just awesome. No, I, I, I am. And thrilled. we got a great show. And we got a fantastic show. Now, I'm thrilled that in-person events are back. Everyone's doing the best they can to navigate these waters. But it is really good to see people in, uh, in person. Okay, listen, we really do have a very exciting episode today. Our guest today is our friend, Joel Montaniel, uh, CEO and co-founder of Seven Rooms. Joel, we are- Jimmy, we've been trying to get Joel on the show for uh, two years. Two years, I'm telling you. I know. It's been a long time. That's how busy this guy is. Look, you know what? He's busy. He's on a fantastic run. His company is doing incredible things for the industry. And and look, let's have Joel take the lead, give a little background on himself, and of course, uh, Seven Rooms. And Joel, we're thrilled to have you on the show with us, man. Thanks, Jimmy. Thanks, Shati. Excited to be here. Sorry it took so long for us to get this on the books. And We're going to find out why it takes it took so long today. Wait till you hear. He's, this guy's busy. This guy's making things happen. Yeah, I know. I was waiting for you guys to get back from Vegas so we could do it <laughs> properly. Fair. So, very, yeah, very excited to be here. Um, we've known each other for quite some time, and thank you guys for putting together this podcast. It's really one of the amazing things coming out of uh, uh, what Branded is up to these days. So I appreciate it. Yeah, listen, give us a little, a quick background on Seven Rooms, and we're going to take a really deep dive into Joel and what makes Joel tick. But just give our listeners, <laughs> what is Seven Rooms? Sounds good. So Seven Rooms, we describe ourselves as a guest experience platform. Uh, it's marketing speak, but really what we're working on doing is helping operators build a direct and personalized relationship with their guests throughout the guest journey. So before, during, and after. We got our start as a guest data company. So many, many years ago, we tried to figure out why hospitality technology systems didn't have any guest data in them. And we really were surprised by that because we were like, this is the hospitality industry. Isn't it all about understanding the little things? Isn't it all about making people feel special? How can operators do that when the very ingredient you would need is not available in the systems they're using to run their business? So we got our start as a guest data CRM company, and then we've now evolved ourselves into now a guest experience platform with a mission of helping operators make their guests feel at home. Hey, thanks for that. We love it. Love what you're doing at Seven Rooms. But let's take a little deeper dive into Joel. What (laughs) makes Joel tick? And I think this is interesting because Jimmy 
as our finance guy, I think has a lot in common with you being that you are an ex an ex finance guy. You, I mean, I I remember meeting you and you told me you were in the finance business. Credit Suisse. Credit Suisse, I think. Credit Suisse, yes. And I think Jimmy probably, he spent some time at these foreign banks and these wacky names and what have you. So, I mean, you're both finance guys. European financial institutions. What did I say? What did I say? You said foreign and wacky. I don't believe. Oh, is that bad? That's restaurant talk, Jimmy. I don't think Credit Suisse or CS. I don't think Societe Generale, SG or Fortis. These are wonderful European institutions with fantastic U.S. presence. Joel happened to work at one of the leading banks uh, in the world. Thank you for correcting me. I know Chase and Wells Fargo. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Credit Suisse less concerned about keeping your your savings account, Shatsy. But let's let Joel talk about this. It's time at Credit Suisse and then into seven. Yeah, how'd you go from Credit Suisse to hospitality? That's what I want to know. Yeah, it's uh, it's not. Back then, it was not your typical move moving from finance to technology. I think. In 2005, 2006, 2007, uh, most people don't realize, but there were very few technology companies here in New York, many finance companies. And I remember telling my friends I wanted to go start a technology company at some point, and I was going to leave finance for technology, and they all thought I was crazy. Uh, but long story short, I got my start at Credit Suisse. Uh, back then, it was uh, called CSFB, uh, and a lot of people were calling it First Boston. People were calling it Credit Suisse. Yeah, you People guys, had a, you, you guys Suisse. had a big office right here on Park South by a couple of our restaurants. That's they, right. Yep. Mike, Michael, right they still there. do. They, that, they, you know what? They haven't moved. <laughs> They're still right there. Oh, you guys still have a big office right over here by some of our restaurants. That's right. Yep. In uh, 11 Madison Park. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that was the start of everything. And, you know, we can dive into a lot more detail. But uh, it became pretty clear to me that I wasn't that passionate about finance wanted to go start a company and it turned out that hospitality and technology were the intersection of that passion. So I decided after a few years of being in finance to make that move. Listen, I want I want to get involved here and, and I'm going to say something and I hope it doesn't, I hope it doesn't cost me too much. Um, you were the first person that really started uh, to, to tell me about the engagement side. Um, when Brandon launched its business, we were all in on delivery and off-premise and really thinking about um, how are we going to do better um, in our in, in the customers or guests that are not coming in our stores. But you were the first one that really talked about guest engagement. Um, so in previous conversations, you also brought up the phase, the life cycle of tech. And I love that. Um, in your opinion, when we talk about tech, where are we in that cycle? Are we in the beginning? Are we in the middle? Is this the end? Where are we in the life cycle of tech? Yeah, if we... Take hospitality technology as the starting point. I believe we're still in the early innings, uh, the very beginning of the cycle. You had kind of V1.0 technology stack in the, we'll call it 90s and 2000s, uh, moving towards cloud. And I think cloud has enabled a lot of opportunities in addition, of course, to mobile. So it feels like we're still in the very, very early days. And you know, as I look around the world and and I just got back from a, a trip to the beach and uh, some of the best restaurants in that city are still using pen and paper. So it still feels like we're in the very early innings and I'm excited about what's coming next. What can I ask you a question? Because I remember we didn't touch on this and I just want to get back to it. There was a there was an aha moment, I think, for you that with, I, I remember you and your friends were like eating out or something. What happened that you came up with the whole idea for Seven Rooms? Didn't something happen? 
Yeah, it was a combination of different experiences. If I had to pick the, the common threads, you know, being in the finance world, we would take client dinner, we would go out, take clients out to dinner, and it was this big celebration of this really long deal that everyone was happy to get done. And we always picked the same four or five dinner spots, which I thought was really interesting because we had a budget where you could go anywhere in the city, but it turned out it was the same steakhouses or sushi restaurants. And the reason we picked those places- You can name names, by the way, on this show. We love names. You know, b- back in the day, there was like the Megus of the world and right, those types do, of places. Sure. Yeah, the, yeah. The, the kind of trendy finance style places. Very expensive. I STK even, you know, STK, STK is still great. Still rocking it out, Jimmy. Yeah, I had dinner rocking. in Vegas, by the way. There you go. Unbelievable. So we'd always go to the same places and I kind of scratched my head and wondered why do we go to the same places every time? And it turned out because one of the managing directors knew someone at that restaurant. So we had a pretty good idea that we're going to get taken care of. So that was one thread. A second thread is, you know, working in finance, you work these hundred plus hour weeks and, you know, as Jimmy knows, you don't, you don't know when you're going to have off, at least the, the underlings like I was, didn't know when I was going to have the weekend off. And so eight o'clock would roll around on a Friday, your, your boss would come over and say, hey, you have off for the weekend. At that point, I couldn't get into the hot restaurant. I couldn't get into the restaurant I was reading about uh, because I didn't have the relationships. And so the other personal side of it was, why do I, I have to go wait, to a restaurant? I can't believe weekend? you couldn't get into the hot restaurants. Ah, I can't believe. <laughs> <laughs> Back then, you know, you Back- couldn't get in. You had to book months in advance. And, you know, there was the McNally restaurants where you had to know the number. There was La Esquina where good luck. You know, oh, good luck didn't matter who you were. Yeah, five or 10 o'clock, 30 days from now. And so it started with, uh, well, what happens if you can't go 20 times? How do you build that relationship with the restaurant? How do you get to know them? And you know, when you're working so often, there's few chances to get to go, go enjoy the city. And so kind of those two experiences uh, were, were central to the idea of how do you help an operator create that experience for the guests. And in, in turn, for the guests, how do you create that amazing experience, even if you can only go a couple times? No, I'm digging all this. And, and now I want to go just a little further into Seven Rooms, because when we first met you, you had started out, I, I, and I hope, I had, I, I hope I'm assessing this correctly, but uh, I looked at Seven Rooms as a reservation, seating, and guest management solution. But now you've added um, you know, a myriad of new functionality, um, certainly delivery. Um, which was critical and, and so, um, I, I think, important for your, your business development, particularly in light of when the, when the pandemic came crashing down. Um, and now you've gone as far as develop your own white label platform. Can you share a little more about how this all came about? Yeah, so as we were building the company, we started with this idea of guest data. And so how do we help the restaurant capture as much guest data as possible? And how do we make it as easy as possible for them to capture it? And actually, when we first started, we had restaurants that were using our CRM system side by side with their reservation seating system. That's how important it was to them. And then what we realized is if we wanted to help the restaurants, how could we actually also build the reservations and the seating so that they could have one system to look at everything together? And then as we moved and had more data, the restaurant said to us, well, what can we do with that data? This is around 2017, 2018. And we told them, well, you should market to your guests with the data. And they said, how do we do that? And they said, well, they said, we do it kind of. We send out a brunch email and we thought that that was okay, but there was (laughs) many other opportunities for them to to do better. 
And so we ended up building a marketing automation system to help them leverage that data to drive repeat visits and now repeat orders. And that brought us to 2019, at the end of 2019, and we started looking at our customer base and wondering, well, what else could we do for them? And it became so evident to us that online ordering, delivery, and pickup was growing really quickly. It had a lot of similar dynamics to what we had seen in the reservation world, where they didn't have as much control over their channels. They didn't have as much of an understanding about their guests as they needed to have. So a lot of the same parallels. And for us, it made natural sense to say, could we expand the platform to help restaurants do business and delivery and pickup, give them the right data, give them the right touch points. And so before COVID, we had actually made a decision to go build it. COVID accelerated that decision. And lastly, the way we think about everything is we think about that guest journey, the before, during, and after. And if you think about that journey, there's touch points in every single phase. So the way we look at it is, can we add a new touch point or can we augment an existing touch point that creates a better guest experience and then helps our operator partners get more revenue from the transaction? And if we can do that, and we can do that again and again, and we can do that well, those are things that we want to go do. So online ordering fit nicely into that box uh, where we had a lot of restaurants asking if we could do it, and it made sense as a natural extension of the platform. That's awesome. So let me go back for a second. So people are making reservations on your platform. You're capturing what they're eating and drinking, right? And then when they come back, you kind of remember what they ate and drank so you can make suggestions. You kind of maybe know where they like to sit, what kind of table, maybe who their server is, all these different things, red wine, white wine, um, this kind of thing. Now you're into delivery. So you're capturing what they want uh, in the restaurant and you're capturing what they're getting and liking and eating at home as well. And it's the same customer. So you're building a really complete picture of this consumer on-premise and off-premise. So what kind of things, what kind of personalization uh, are you offering to the restaurants that the consumers will get? Like what, is it just emails? Is it text messaging? Is it is it suggesting that uh, Jimmy ate steak, so maybe he would get, you know, we deliver steak? You know, how does it work? Give us a little more detail. Yeah, sure. So if we start first with the data and the trends that we're seeing, and then we can talk about how we help restaurants and consumers mm -hmm. given those trends. So the first trend is, of course, delivery is up. Uh, so before the pandemic in the U.S., it was about 42% of consumers uh, had been had done delivery in the U.S. Uh, now that's north of 50% and growing. And then what's interesting is we thought that when COVID was stabilizing, that dine-in would pick back up and delivery would slow down a little bit. But actually what you're seeing is both are accelerating. So dine-in is up delivery is up. And so what that means is now a restaurant needs to be able to understand and work across both of those different channels. However, it's the same customer. So the customer that is ordering delivery on Wednesday is coming in on Friday. And so what that means now is a restaurant needs to be able to market, engage, interact with that consumer across all of those channels. And in the backdrop of, backdrop, excuse me, of COVID, everything has become a lot more challenging. There's less staff and consumer expectations are much higher. So more practically, as an example, uh, Michael Mina is one of our customers and they use us for online ordering. They also use us for reservations. And so on a Wednesday, when you order your delivery, we capture that into the guest profile. 
And then when you show up on Friday, they know exactly what you ordered for delivery. So for instance, Jimmy and Shats come in, you get seated at the table we know you love. I drop down a tzatziki because that's your favorite delivery uh, go-to and say, thanks for supporting our business over the past few months. Here's something on us. You leave that restaurant having a great experience. And then the following week on a Friday, I can market the new restaurant that we just opened up. They actually just opened up an amazing new Greek restaurant. So on a Friday, I can market that to you. And then on Wednesday, I can market the delivery to you. And all of it is done automatically, leveraging the data set that the restaurants are collecting and that we're helping collect on their behalf. So you as the consumer get this connected experience and the operator gets to speak to the customer in the way that they want to be spoken to, depending on the day, the time, their interests. It's awesome. I think it, it sounds a lot like what retail have been doing for years, no? Yeah, it has so many parallels. It's a good call out of, you know, the online, offline, you know, the the shopper and how to understand them. And I think we've learned a lot from the retail world um, and they're still struggling as well uh, to figure out how to make that, what how to make that look when you shop online and you go into the store. I think restaurants have that same challenge, but they also have the same opportunity. I was going to say, I think it's it's so important what you're highlighting. Uh, we Shats and I keep thinking about brands and whether you as a guest or, uh, experience that brand in store, whether you experience that brand um, you know, uh, in the digital sphere or off-premise. At the end of the day, these are the brands that, that we're forming relationships with. At the end of the day, I think hospitality is just that. On-premise, off-premise, you got to create that relationship and that's what you're doing. Um, you mentioned Michael Mina. He's one of the elite uh, restaurateurs in the world. Do you think restaurants have or are figuring out how to manage this delivery and dine-in model? You know, are, 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 is the crossover starting to happen? I know your tool is really exactly that. You're the, you are the tool that can af- allows restaurants to do it. Do you think the guests um, are figuring it out? Are, are they ordering $100 bottles of wine to their homes? Any positive momentum that you're seeing happening for your clients? Yeah, so uh, definitely positive momentum, but it's still early. I would say one thing that we're learning is customers don't care what the challenges of the operator uh, are or the systems that they're using. I think they care a little bit more, but in general, the customer wants what the customer wants. And in general, uh, there's more convenience than ever before. And so restaurants have to contend in that universe with a consumer with higher expectations and more options. And so I think restaurants are starting to understand how important it is to play in both. Uh, For instance, we don't see restaurants that turned on delivery for the first time ever in COVID turning it back off. On the whole, most operators are keeping it on because they've seen the impact that it can have on their business. And then the consumer that is going to order the nice bottle of wine in the restaurant, uh, there's also consumers that are ordering the $100 plus bottles from the restaurant through delivery. And we saw that with some of our Michelin-starred restaurants here in New York, where you're seeing $100, $200, $300 bottles get sold pretty regularly, where that consumer theoretically could have ordered that through a delivery app. They could have walked out to go get it, but you had that convenience factor. So I think it's early. I think that the consumer ultimately will dictate what the restaurant needs to do. And right now, based on the data, there's no doubt that delivery and dine-in is the new consumer. And there's no doubt that the restaurants that are going to be successful are the ones that are doing both well. Well, listen, we talked a little earlier about it's been hard to get you on the podcast because you've been busy. (laughs) You've been really busy. 
And I got to tell you, a couple of things you've been busy doing is announce some really cool partnerships. One with a little company known as TripAdvisor that a few of our listeners may have heard of. Another company, maybe some of our listeners don't know, but certainly us in the industry know, is a little company called Olo that recently went public at like, I think it was $5 trillion or $10 trillion. I don't know, Jimmy. I leave the finance up to Jimmy. He knows that stuff. What can you tell us about the partnerships with uh, Seven Rooms and TripAdvisor and Seven Rooms and Olo? Very interesting. Yeah. For, firstly, uh, our philosophy is to partner with other platforms, with with other providers in the industry. We have a philosophy, you'll hear us say it a lot, which is to be a bridge, never a blocker. So since day one, that's been our philosophy as we've entered the industry. Um, and you can see that in terms of all of the integrations we have. For instance, we have over 50 direct point of sale integrations throughout the world. Um, another thing that's unique about us is we want to enable all of the consumer booking channels. And so unlike other systems, Seven Rooms does not have our own consumer channel we integrate and support all of the ones that exist. So, you know, the, the world to us, wanted we wanted to make the world look like what happened in the airline and the hotel industry, where if you want to go book through Expedia, you could book through Expedia. If you wanted to go directly to the hotel website, you could do that. If you wanted to go through your credit card, you could do that. Different value for the consumer, different value for the operator. That's the world that we've enabled across multiple countries, multiple markets now. Um, and so that as a starting philosophy, just to lay that out for people listening, has always been our approach, which is be a bridge, never a blocker, integrate with the things that matter. Pretty to sure it's just uh, Jimmy and I, by the way, listening. Ah. <laughs> well, for <laughs> the one other person, maybe coming back from Vegas. <laughs> Seriously, we got, we got like over 50,000 people. I'm listening kidding. To I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> well, you're, related to, you're related to most of them. I mean, you yeah. We should do the other, we should do the other set of questions then. <laughs> so uh, in, in the sense of the two partnerships, just to play off of what we we're just talking about, the TripAdvisor one, we think is a landmark partnership. Uh, you have a company who has one of the largest, if not now, the largest consumer booking network in the world. They have over 90,000 restaurants that are using the reservation platform. And the behind the scenes on that one is they were looking for a partner that had best-in-class restaurant technology that they could pair their best-in-class consumer network. And so why that's exciting is because they're going to sell the Seven Rooms platform to the top restaurants in France, in Spain, in the Nordics in Italy, uh, and they believe in helping the restaurant. And so they thought Seven Rooms was the best platform they had seen. So it's a, it's a multi-year partnership. It gives us the chance to get to new parts of the world that maybe haven't been as touched by technology or there's an opportunity to improve technology, which can then improve the guest experience. So it's one of those ones where I think it demonstrates uh, how we approach the world, which is uh, we wanna partner with the right partners and uh, the right consumer channels are also some of the right partners, uh, so long as they're helping to help the restaurants. So that's the TripAdvisor partnership. Uh, very excited about that one. And uh, it was you know, many months in the making, so shout out to the team, uh, the teams that worked on that. But what about Olo? Don't forget Olo. Yeah, and Olo's great too. So, <laughs> oh, know. and Olo's great too? <laughs> yeah. Shout, shout, out to, you know, shout out to Noah and the team. You know, we, we've been a longtime admirer. Uh, he came into our. He came in to speak. We we would have uh, different speakers from the industry come in, and uh, he was one of those speakers at, at our pre-shift meeting, which is our town hall, and uh, he gave a phenomenal 
talk on resilience and grit and you know hats off to them and the whole team on their IPO. Um, they're another partner that you know shared philosophy, shared vision. They've been at it for so long. Um, I, I love the Olo Wisely deal that just happened. You know, big fans of the Wisely team as well. And you know, I think it's great for the industry in terms of where it's moving. You know, there's millions upon millions of restaurants. We can't get to every single one. So the more technology companies that have the right philosophy, all the better for the industry. So the Olo partnership in particular was also many years in the making, many months in the making. And what that enables is for restaurants that are using Olo for us to pull that data in to the seven rooms profile and then be able to service it, market it uh, for brands. So it's a great one. Super excited about the potential on that as well. Oh, that's great stuff. And my, my, my expectation is there'll be more of these types of partnerships coming your way. Um, uh, again, given, um, you know, I think how, where you've uniquely positioned the company, uh, I want to shift, uh, shift gears a little bit, uh, while Shatz and I started the podcast, cause we like talking to other people and we like asking questions. We've learned along the way that sometimes our guests have questions for us. So let's kick into our talking back where we offer our, our guests the chance to ask us any questions. Nothing's off the table. Joel, the microphone is yours. Well, I like that you guys do this. This is great. So I have a few that come to mind. You only get uh, one, Joel. One. One question. <laughs> it, one show, it, Joel. Can I make it a three-part three one question? Right. One question, many parts. You can do exactly. that. You got, you, got the, you got the right. Question one right. A. No. So, one yes. so because of your unique position, you know, you sit as operators, you sit as you know, funders and capital providers, you also are building community. Um, I'm curious if we were to, if you were to wear two hats, the first hat is as a hospitality operator. So you have many restaurants. What's, if you were to give advice to a up and coming restaurant technology company, what advice would you give them to pitch you guys as hospitality operators? What do you, what would you want to hear from them that they could do for you? That's a fantastic question, and I really think it's geared towards the restaurant guy. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it is great. And you know what? I mean, Jim and I have experienced so many people coming to us, uh, you know, in the restaurant side, because Jimmy's finance guy, but he's been our partner in the restaurants for as long as I know him. Uh, and we've always had people come to us and pitch ideas. And one guy, one kind of, I, you know, person that would come to us. They were just really looking. It's almost like they'd never really understood anything about how a restaurant works outside of they've eaten in restaurants. And and so they're not it's almost like they're in search of a, of, of a problem or, or search, sorry, search of a solution, you know, um, and and I think that I think it's really important to to make sure you understand, you know, the operations of the restaurants. And I think um, I love when we get people coming to us that are either have worked in restaurants or owned restaurants, and they're truly solving problems because they know the problems they've had. They 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 lived it. So a lot of times we get folks that uh, come and pitch ideas to us, and I say that that's just not the way it works. So I really, really, really recommend anybody who's who's trying to solve some problems to really make sure that that those are the the biggest problems that restaurants and hospitality are, are facing, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I only want to add because I think Shatsi's on point. There is a false sense of familiarity 
with this industry. And it, and, it, and it lives between the operators and their guests. I mean, look, we don't even call them customers. We call them guests. They walk in and they want you to take care of them. And by the way, your seven rooms is helping restaurants and hospitality venues take care of that guest. But there's a false sense of familiarity. And I think that has bled into and, and, and moved into the tech and investing space, particularly for tech people building solutions in search of a challenge or an opportunity because they think they know it. And, and my strong advice to any tech company, whether you work with branded or someone else, leverage subject matter experts, leverage people that are in the industry and understand the workflow uh, of a restaurant or, or again, a venue that allows the tech to be meaningful and relevant. But this is a great question. What else? What's your part B? We'll give it to you. Yeah, part part B, and, and I couldn't agree more with with uh, how you guys are thinking about part A. And we had to learn that lesson the hard way. I think we came up, the first approach we took was from a point of view of uh, customers and guests, not as operators. And I, I think we definitely underappreciated uh, what it was like to be the operator. Yeah, the I'm problem. smart, Joel. I'm smart. <laughs> it, it was one of those. It was like, hey, this makes sense on the whiteboard. Um, <laughs> And it turns out what's logical isn't always logical. Uh, so on the second part, so given that you are also investors, uh, if you put on your investor hat now, if a technology company is pitching you, what are the one, two, or three things that get you excited uh, from that that company might tell you or they might show you? I mean, I, I go I, back to, uh, I know, Jimmy, I, I know this is, this is, this is definitely in, in your area, but I just wanted to say what gets me when they pitch is gets us really excited is when they've come up, they're like, they're like, holy shit. Yes. I need that. Holy shit. That could really solve our problems. Oh my God. This is incredible. That's the kind of thing. That That's two curse words. We might have to deal with an FCC violation there, Shatsy, but, but away from that, um, to, to, but Joel, to Shatsy's point, our entire top of the funnel, our entire investment thesis uh, starts with the operator. So we are uh, an operator-centric investment platform. We will only work with tech companies that position themselves as allies to the operator. Therefore, our diligence process, the investment team, doesn't pick up a pencil, not that anyone picks up pencils anymore, but they're not allowed to start the pro their process until the expert team says, I love this and I would use this um, for whatever reason that it resonated with them. If the expert team, which, which are our operators, if they give it that type of endorsement, then the finance team gets to work. And specifically, both groups have to ultimately say yes. It's just that the finance team doesn't even get a look at a deal unless the experts like it. So assume that a company has passed that operator you know, checkpoint and got blessed. We then start quickly looking at traction. We look at the team, we look at the TAM, we look at the traction, the triple T. Um, you know, how do we, how are we connecting with that team? What are the resources they have in place? What's the depth? We're an early stage investor. So we know that there's going to be limited information. Um, but ultimately um, we're quickly looking at, you know, the addressable market and then ultimately what traction, what proof of concept have they uh, delivered that gives us confidence that we can help them, you know, with our capital and with our connections, help them scale and grow. So that's what we've been up to. Um, Shatsy, are we going gonna to give, give Joel part three or are we going to move on to the crystal ball? Oh, he's got a part three? He's got part three. I thought he forgot. I figured I would use my Jedi mind tricks and he'd move along. I have a selfish you know, part, part three. Joel's a big deal. We got to give him. He said, he said there's yes, three. Yes, Joel, you can get our reservations <laughs> at any of our restaurants. Don't worry. <laughs> what night? How many people? All right, we can skip my next question then. All right. Uh, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a coffee drinker. 
And I'm curious, you know, I always love the coffee I have at restaurants, but when I get coffee at home, it's never quite as smooth or never quite as good. So for someone who drinks coffee, is there a coffee that you serve at the restaurants that I could buy at the store? Uh, or what would you suggest I should be drinking for coffee at home? Wow, that is an interesting question because we just bought, I just got an espresso. I just got an espresso with those little pods at the house, which I got to tell you, makes a beautiful cup of coffee. Our restaurants, all of our branded restaurants, the entire crew, all the whole group uses Colbrick's Coffee out of Hoboken, New Jersey. Been uh, roasting coffee since I think the family started in like 1908. And you can go out there and I've been out there, got a master roaster, it's right in Hoboken and they make it there and it's sick. And it's great coffee. They have everything, all, all types of blends. Uh, we don't sell it direct. Maybe we should, Jimmy. Maybe we should be doing it direct to consumer. But uh, Cobrix, I think they even have like a little cafe here in the city. But uh, we love Cobrix. They've got great stuff, and it's a great family-run operation. Uh, if if that helps you, well, Perfect. well played. Listen, we're gonna move in. We're gonna move right into the crystal ball moment, which is now sponsored by Cobrix. When you want good coffee, yeah, Cobrix coffee. When you want it's coffee, 1908, Hoboken, New Jersey. <laughs> when you want good coffee, Cobrix, 1908, sponsoring the crystal ball moment. That was that, that was a freebie for you, Cobrix. Okay, listen, it's time for a crystal ball moment. A chance for we ask you to put on your uh, your Kreskin or Miss Cleo hat and predict the future. So, Joel, how do you see restaurants and dining two years from now? in relation to hospitality and technology. It doesn't mm. seem like a long time, but things are moving quickly. So got to tell you, two years from now, what are you thinking? I Well, it's a good question. I think that there will be more platform solutions with consolidation happening in the space. There's just a ton of different technology providers, which I think is great for the industry. Uh, and I think that given how much is out there, that there will be more consolidation, which will hopefully make it easier for the restaurant uh, to pick technology that will help them. I think that restaurants, hopefully this is maybe my ideal future, will be asking different questions two years from now when they're looking at buying technology. Uh, I hope that they'll be asking things like, what is the ROI on this investment? Uh, what is your, how often are you releasing new technology and new features and uh, how open are you as a platform and what do you do for me in terms of ownership of my guest data uh, and help me use it? And I think that uh, hopefully if we've moved the industry far enough along, those are the questions that restaurant technology buyers will start to be asking a couple years from now. Uh, okay, and, and who? what company are you buying? <laughs> you see what I did there, Jimbo? You see what I did there? That, there's an obvious answer. Uh, he almost said something. He almost, we almost got him to say something. <laughs> that would have been incredible. Well, <laughs> I tried to trick you. I apologize. <laughs> I apologize. I always like to slip those in there. Uh, all right, listen, Joel, I appreciate that. He almost said, we are buying. Oh, and then he realized that he's on the podcast, <laughs> nationally, po national podcast. Uh, Brandon Quickfire, Joel, we are going to ask you five lightning round questions. Don't think too hard. Come, Whatever comes to mind, I want you to just let us know. Are you ready? Yep. What company are you buying next? Ah, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, favorite Thanksgiving dish? Gravy. Where are you getting dinner from tonight? Uh, still looking. I wanted to go to Aldama, but it's closed on Mondays. Come to Isabel's, Booby. It's delicious. What is your favorite food city in the world? New York. 
Nice. nice. Favorite place to travel? Anywhere with a beach. Nice. If you were to challenge Jimmy or I to a game of musical chairs, who would you have the better odds of beating? Jimmy, stand up and show him. I'm, I'm standing. I'm standing. <laughs> oh, oh, let's sit down then. <laughs> I like this question. Well, I'm going to give a, a two-part answer here. If, if it's the last person in the chair, meaning it gets physical, then I would go against Shatsy because Jimmy's big. If it's about yeah. whoever sits in the chair first, I would go against Jimmy because I, I could might be a little bit quicker. So it's the speed. So so you're going speed. On, I, got, I, agree, I agree. I agree. Yeah, if it comes I, I, down to like you got you got to smush one of you, Jimmy will definitely shove you right out of the way, <laughs> right out of the way. I agree. Good I, answer. I agree. Good answer. Politically correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think actually very accurate. Um, um, I think I would still probably. I think I would be. Uh, I, I think I wouldn't win it and win it all of it because uh, at the end of the day, I don't care how fast you are. I'm throwing you off a effing chair. But okay. <laughs> I was going to say, Jimmy doesn't play by the rules like musical <laughs> chairs. You should have seen him in like uh, nursery school, kindergarten. Oh, those blocks were fun. Always he fun. always had a okay. timeout. <laughs> Is that a bad thing? A timeout's bad? All right, oh, listen. Good thing. <laughs> Joel, we want to thank you so much for joining us uh, on the podcast and for sharing your insights. Uh, we appreciate the hard work that you do and the team at Seven Rooms does, uh, not just uh, in this difficult time and, and, and most interesting time, uh, but really you've been you've been at this for a while and uh, and you're really, you're really adding. How many years interest. old is Seven Rooms? Ten. Five ten years? years old. Ten? Yeah, 10 years old. It's 10 years old. Yeah, exactly. So you've been you've been at it for a while, man. Yep, no, and I really you're 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 ahead of your ahead of the curve in in terms of the importance of guest engagement. Um, if you want to get in touch with Joel directly, you can email us at podcast at brandedstrategic.com, podcast at brandedstrategic.com, and we'd be happy to make the introduction for you. Uh, as our current listeners know, we no longer give out personal information. <laughs> it's frowned upon. Uh, that was a season one mistake. Uh, and to our listeners. Um, we want to really thank you so much for tuning in. We know there are hundreds of thousands of podcasts out there, and we love that our podcast is growing. We're excited to announce we're moving on to season six in the not-too-distant future um, and thrilled um, that, that we're getting such momentum and, and great guests like Joel. Uh, join us next week as we welcome our guest, Sam Oaks from Nation's Restaurant News. Sam Oaks from uh, Jimmy, uh, I think it's Restaurant o News. I think it's O'Chase. I think it's O'Chase. I, I, I'm going with the old, I'm just going with the good old American Oaks, baby. <laughs> Sam Oaks, that's a solid guy. Solid name, Sam. Oaks. That is solid. It is. Uh, if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to our podcast. Uh, and better yet, um, please invite a friend to join us so you don't miss out on the exciting guests we'll be having uh, in the future. Uh, Shatsy, I'm going to pass it back to you. This is Jimmy Frischling, your finance guy, thanking Joel and passing it to the to the restaurant guy. This is Shatsy, aka the restaurant guy, and I got to tell you, Joel. Well worth the wait. Absolutely. This was a fantastic podcast. Thank you so much, everybody. And thank you, Joel. Thanks, Joel. Thanks, Shatsy. Thanks, Jimmy. And congrats on Brandon Strategic and all the success so far. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks. So, Appreciate cheers, you, everybody. Cheers.